By the way, we started. So if you want to move in, that would be better. Rob does this to me every Yeah. Um, no, we did. Well, if you remember the, the first two shows, and they're probably available still at Sport Calgary, but they were on Vice. Because at that time, uh, cannabis had just been made legal, and we were starting to see that come into sport as a, a prominent advertiser, or potentially as a prominent advertiser. And um, we had just seen... Uh, single-game wagering legalized in the United right. States, and it hadn't been implemented, but we knew it was coming, and, and I think we were just kind of pondering what would the impact be, and lo and behold, not so many years ago, it, it both, well, single-game wagering has had the biggest for sure, but both have had the tremendous impact on, on, on sport, for yeah. sure. So for those of you that are listening, who are not students sitting in this classroom right now, <laughs> let me just uh, tee it up a little bit by providing some context. So uh, Rob and I are speaking right now in front of a live studio audience at Mount Royal University in the Department of Health and Physical Education, and the students are taking a first-year course called Introduction to Sport and Recreation Management. And today, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about various parts or systems within the sport and recreation industry as a whole. So we've looked right. at long-term athlete development. We've talked about the Active City Initiative, of which you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had Steve Norris talking about athlete performance. We're going to have uh, colleagues from the Alberta Recreation and Parks Association come in on Monday. But what I wanted to talk about today, and the reason I asked you to come to campus, was I wanted to focus on professional sport. Sure. Um, but I wanted to look at it through the lens of what is good about it. Mm -hmm. And I find too often that we focus on the negative aspect of professional sport and what's wrong with it. I, maybe that's just a, a social commentary that we tend to, to nitpick. We tend to try and find holes where we're loath to actually perhaps pat each other on the back. But I, and that, that, that doesn't mean I don't want to be dishonest today. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we kind of cover over things. But I want to spend some time talking about what I would suggest are some real opportunities where sport can provide right. some, some common good. Right. So let's, let's maybe first off start talking about why it always seems like, you know, it's negative and that, that the positive stories don't, you know, come to the, the foreground. Just because I'm curious as all heck, how many people here are casual pro sports fans? Casual. Okay. How many people here don't have a team, don't have a dog in the race, don't care about pro sports on any level? And I don't care what it is. Okay. So everybody does. How many in this room would define themselves as hardcore, must know what their team did, must know what their players are doing all the time? How many of you would define yourselves as hardcore pro sports fans? Okay. This, and by the are way, not, are, the you record, not, are you not going to provide any kind well, of... Well, I was going to say, but let the record show. I would say <laughs> probably in the neighborhood, you said, what, about 60 people in here? Yeah. I would say just slightly over 10 define themselves as hardcore pro sports fans. That is incredibly troubling to me Why? incredibly troubling to me why is that troubling because it's a migration from where we were if hmm. we went back in time 40 to 80 years when you and i were in school right. and we asked that same question where do you think yeah that's where do you think the numbers would that's be? a very good point so certainly my generation would probably well listen my students know that on mondays my mood swings based on how the Steelers did on Sunday. Yes, well, we're all and, aware of that. And yeah, and yeah. it has not been particularly good this semester. Um, yeah, I would say my generation, our generation, yep. Rob, if I yep. may, um, 
is far more connected to a specific team. Right. Whereas this generation, I find, and maybe it's because of fantasy, I don't, I'm not sure what the reasoning is, tends not to follow a team as passionately. I think um, consumption plays a role in it. I think consumption plays a role in, in your, you know, your idea of, of negativity versus positive stories. It's how, the sport is con- how sports are consumed now. Mm-hmm. Right. Social media, you know, when some of this group, five or 10 of them become, you know, educators and they're, and they're towards the tail end of their careers, they're going to be talking about, you know, the advent of social media, the advent of, right. of the Internet, the early part of the 20th century and what effect that had on, on society. And I think sports is the prime example of that. Um, I can put out a bunch of social posts about, you know, community events and little kids doing good things and people doing good things and you get the hearts and you get a couple of reposts but if i were to take a run at you know connor mcdavid and call into question something about him that's the interest that's where people's minds go subtly or uh, you know whether they know it or not that's where they go so i think when you look at positive versus negative we tend to gravitate to negative there is a lot of positive and i and i would say that for the purposes of this conversation, maybe the biggest positive that pro sports has is as a social movement or a, oh. a mover, for, you know, moving forward social movements. And it has historically been that. Yep. Okay, so let's start that. Let's start there. And the first one I want to talk about um, relates to the date today. So yep. uh, today's day, and I don't even know if my students are aware of this, it's referred to as Rowan's, uh, Rowan's Law Day. Um, Rowan was a female rugby player in Ontario. I might be getting the story a little confused. My understanding was that she had a number of concussions, and so it's essentially a concussion awareness day. And so there's actually a law now in Ontario. I don't, again, I don't know if it's been transferred nationally or not, um, but there are a number of initiatives looking at concussions on a national scale. So safety, I think, is one. Yeah. Um, and a, a, I would say a renewed focus and again let's let's look at professional football as an example correct so i think there's been a number of changes in rules and the ways that athletes are treated in the protocols relatively recently and in particular sure. as it relates to concussions sure. that take the athlete's health and well-being into consideration far more so than even certainly when i played oh um, for sure uh, like i would say in the last 10 years that has improved dramatically so i think I think the the safety, the sense of focusing on the health and the wellness, even looking at like, um, you know, uh, what, what happened in Tokyo with the Olympic Games mm-hmm. and the number of athletes that pulled out because of mental health concerns. Yep. And so I think, again, the health and well-being of athletes and the acceptance of that and and the recognition that those are important things, I think has changed over time. I think it has. I'm, I, it's, it's always... I'm, how many... How many NFL fans here? Yeah, okay. So how many of you guys have been screaming at your TV about targeting lately, right? Like, you know, exactly, right? I mean, you look at the way a quarterback's treated now versus the way a quarterback was treated just five or six, ten years ago. I mean, okay, we'll use your guy, Roethlisberger, what he got in in the 70s, I think. But uh, no, but even, you know, when he got into the league now and how he's protected by right. the rules versus how he's protected. Yeah, right? I, can, I can remember Ray Lewis breaking his nose in a game. Yeah. Um, and well, that, not, that not being called. It's, this would be funny for us, but uh, Don Cherry used to have the Rock'em Sock'em videos, right? Right. Every Christmas, a new Rock'em Sock'em video. It's a video, it's a 30-minute cassette, or a VHS <laughs> tape of concussions. That's what it was, yeah. right? But glorified, was promoted, glorified, celebrated. Yeah. It was this part of the culture, right? 
And when hockey went about changing that, I mean, that had broad ratification. And, and you know, the, the battle cry always to the, the, you know, the, the doubter is, well, you're going to hurt the game. People won't watch the game. People won't watch the game. People consume the game, right? Yeah. So pro sports has, you know, slowly, I, I would suggest that true safety comes at the grassroots level and works its way up. That's one of the rare times that I think in the sport paradigm where pro sport is the top of that pyramid. Yeah. Most things come down. Safety, I would argue, would be the one that is the one that has come up. Yeah, no, no, that's like, that's an interesting commentary because let's, let's look at hockey as the example. Sure. So, you know, was checking taken out at the, I forget which level now it is where, is it midget? Prior to midget? What, what's oh, no, the level? I was, I was, I sat in this building here when they uh, proposed taking uh, uh, body checking out of uh, 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 Peewee. Right, which is under whatever, under 11 or under 12 now. And you, you want to talk about uh, fun little uh, town hall conversations to host. <laughs> Those were just off the charts. Oh, hey, Al, I don't mind. Yeah, so, so the advent of face shields, the, the taking out of body checking. Again, what I, I, what, does anybody know what level, where is body checking not allowed now? Yeah. Yeah. So peewee, it's not allowed. Okay. And if, correct me if I'm not wrong, but I think it's only in the elite levels or in some streams of the elite levels now that they've, they've taken it. Part of it is, and anybody who's played the game knows that the size differential between you know, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old kids is amazing. Right? Well, we were talking about that on Monday when Dr. Norris was here right. looking at athlete development. And exactly to your point, there was a video that was circulating just a couple, maybe a week ago, and it was showing a high school football game. And there was a young player... I think it was 14-year-olds, and he looked to be about yep. 260 pounds, right. probably six foot four, playing right. a bunch of, against a number sure. of other players that were like half his size. And sure. they were, you know, again, glorifying the tackles that this guy, this 14-year-old was making. I'm like, I mean, come on. Yep. Like, oh, why is it, why are we, why are we celebrating that? Right. Why are we, why are we So that also proves that we still got a, we still got a ways to go. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah. so the safety element, I would argue yeah. that, I would argue that pro sport is getting better at it. I sure. still think there's an underlying undercurrent of the promotion of the gratuitous violence. Um, fighting has certainly gone down. Off a cliff. Um, in hockey? Yeah. Yeah, in hockey, off yeah. a cliff. Uh, it's still there, but again, I like to, going back to the example that you brought up with the Don Cherry, I mean, to, to the level... I, I, I seem to recall going to an Oilers-Flames game just prior to the uh, pandemic, and there was maybe, I think, Chuck got into a big fight. And that, and that was a big deal. There was a goalie fight. That's what it was. Yep. Um, and it was noteworthy, I think, because of its uniqueness. Um, and it was something that just didn't happen very right. often As anymore. opposed to, you know, the 80s, you might have three or four bench-clearing brawls throughout <laughs> yeah. a season that would take 30 to 40 minutes to clear up. Yeah. And I often think now in this world with social media, with cable, television, all these sort of things, if, if those things happen now, yeah. what would... Um, Dave Semenko, the Oilers, passed away, one of their heavyweights from their, their dynasty years in the 80s. And one of the things I went back is was watched a uh, Dave Semenko, Tim Hunter video on YouTube. And, like, I'm, I, I'm watching this going, my God, if this happened today, like, right. everybody's involved on the ice. It takes 14 minutes to clear up. I mean, we'd be calling for, you know, legislation and the law would be involved. It's... From that regard, it has cleaned up from yeah. where it is. And, and, and that's the nice thing about technology. I mean, we poo-poo technology all we want. But YouTube's a great uh, portal back into what was and how far we've come. And that was a great example. Yeah. So the second one I want to talk about, second, I don't know, topic. Sure. 
as it relates to positive influence. So I talked about today being Rowan's Law Day. Yep. Uh, tomorrow is the Truth and Reconciliation Day. Right. Uh, Mount Royal, and I'll, I'll speak to my students, has chosen to remain open, um, as opposed to every other post-secondary in Calgary that has chosen to to close for the day. I I suspect I, I was not part of the conversations. My understanding of the of the reasoning why Mount Royal re- decided to remain open, and I'll share this with my students publicly here, is that it's a, it's an opportunity to collect. It's an opportunity to connect and to talk about truth and reconciliation as opposed to not bringing people together to address it and to look at it. And so I think that was ultimately the decision, was that it was an opportunity to reflect in a purposeful and meaningful way, as opposed to having a holiday. And I, and I say this, and it may sound now like I'm being critical of other institutions that have chosen to have a holiday, um, and that's not, that's not my intended purpose, but I'm trying to explain to the students, because again, I think a lot of questions have come up as to why we are remaining open where others are not. But I want to, and I'm going to share a number of things with my students um, on, online. I'm going to share with you the truth and, truth and reconciliation recommendations. There are a number that are specific to sport and recreation. I'm also going to share with you an annual report that came out from Spirit North, which was the organization that Becky Scott leads. And if you'll recall, she was one of the people that spoke to us uh, last week. And it's an outdoor program specific for uh, Aboriginal, Indigenous, First Nations children. But I want to talk, you've got your mask on today yeah. um, with the Sutina yeah. uh, 7-Chief Sportsplex, which yeah. we're actually going to go to. Oh, cool. um, we're going to have an opportunity to go visit it and be on the First Nations th- itself and learn about uh, the, the facility yeah. and sport and recreation from a Sutina Nation, First Nations perspective. I want you to tell us, and I, I didn't mm. really get around to, to doing this, so I, I said earlier that Rob worked with the Fan 960, but he, has, he then switched courses and started working with Calgary Sports Entertainment Corps and is now the marketing director, marketing Man- manager, manager, business operations um, for the Calgary Hitmen and Roughnecks. And Roughnecks. Yeah. Um, and so Rob, uh, the, the Hitmen, in my opinion, have had a really interesting connection uh, to some First Nations, Aboriginal, Indigenous uh, communities in the surrounding area. And I want you to spend a little bit of time talking about sure. some of those. Sure. So we, uh, in August, signed an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, with Siksika. Um, and it's the first of its kind, and it was really the culmination of three years of work. But just to, to dial it back a little bit, when I left radio, and the reason I left radio was I went to work for the Hitmen, and part of that was my belief that when you look at the pro sports model, ticket sales, where you take and find room for four different teams in a marketplace, five, however you want to define Calgary. What I liked about the Hitman opportunity was their commitment to community. I think that one of the next, if we're not in it, we're getting there. One of the next phases of pro sports allegiance or connection to a team is really generated by your age group and, and what you guys value. And, and, you know, every study that, has come across anybody's desk says that this group you don't mind spending the dollar but you want to know who's getting that dollar and what their values are and what they stand for and what they believe in and as we move forward I really like the opportunity to kind of expand that in the sports world that yeah we'll win on the ice but we've got to win off the ice too and and you know if you're going to come spend your time and money with us then you've got to you know, you got to be happy with the things that we support, the things that we do, the the the, pow- the partners that we have. So we do a lot within the the Hitman world in terms of 
uh, community, teddy bear toss. We have the biggest teddy bear toss in, in North America. So 30,000 teddy bears that go back into, you know, 70 charities. and ca- Okay, so we checked that box. That's good. Who, who doesn't want to throw a teddy bear, right? <laughs> um, Be Brave, our bully prevention game with TELUS in, in – uh, uh, you know, in, in February, I'm guessing there's probably one or two of you here that probably were part of it in your high school or whatever came to the building. It's, you know, 15,000 kids for a day game wearing pink shirts and, and talking about bully prevention. That's what we're about. But how do you take that to the next level? To me, the next level is really immersing yourself in the community and finding the unique partnerships where you can actually do good and you can actually, you know, change something. So, uh, we got connected with Siksika Health in the fall of 2018. We took a simple practice. That's all it was. We just took our team out there in January of 2019 to the uh, Crowfoot Sportsplex, and we just held a practice. What we didn't know was how the community viewed it and how it was brought to the community. So for anybody who's ever played sports, practice is a practice, right? Well, not for us. They had an announcer, and they announced us coming out. They were playing music. People were clamored against the glass. The kids were all there. It was a big deal for the community. Six Sigma, for those who don't know, is uh, right by Gleeson, so just east of Strathmore and a little bit south, so about an hour out of town. So they told us before that they would feed us, so we just assumed we were getting hamburgers and everything. Well, lo and behold... Um, as soon as our practice was over, they escorted us into the um, gymnasium next door. And they had uh, seats for all of our players, all of our coaches, all of our staff, including our bus driver. And they printed these team photos. And for about an hour, our team autographed pictures for kids. And they, honest to God, started with the bus driver and went through the whole line. And when that was done, they then served our players uh, traditional meal so bannock and and um and fruit soup and and we had this meal and then they put on uh, essentially what was a mini uh, dancing dance demonstration i was co- going to call it a powwow but that's not that's not what it was but they have chicken dancers they have fancy dancers they have all kinds of different dancing in siksika and they demonstrated for us and then they got us up and we participated in a round dance so we are players are up on so this is well beyond what any of us were expecting and then they presented us with gifts because part of their culture is if you come to visit they are they're just naturally going to give you what they have so they gave us dinner they gave us a performance they gave us gifts we were absolutely blown away but the the tipping point in this for us for our coachings and our managers and, and particularly for me was prior to our practice one of their elders uh, did a smudging and he explained to our players the significance of the smudging and why it was important what it was all about and and a throwaway line at the end he just said you know if i don't know what you believe but if you're cool and you want to come up and participate you know please do if not thanks for coming thanks for listening well our entire team lined up and participated in the smudging ceremony and that was great for our coaches to see it was great for our management you know they got something out of it. And that's ultimately what we wanted is there's got to be some value in this for everybody involved. So our players liked it. It began a lot of conversations. Well, we started partnering a lot with Siksik in areas and talking to them. And the natural thing became a game. Lots of teams do games, lots of, you know, organizations, hey, drop the puck, you know, show a dancer 
away you go. That we didn't want to do that. We were looking for, you know, something a little bit more significant to to kind of portray this partnership, this relationship. So, uh, it took about a year, but we came up with the Every Child Matters game, and that is significant. I'll come to that in a second. So that was February first of twenty twenty. So about a month before the pandemic. Um, interesting that they came to us and they said this is this is what we'd like to call it. Every Child Matters. They came up with a logo. Not we did not know that Every Child Matters was an organization out of Williams Lake, BC, that up until, you know, the last couple of years was really the voice in Orange Shirt Day, was really the voice in, in this conversation. And they reached out to us and they said, hey, did you know? And we're like, well, no, we didn't know. And Siksika got involved and we got everybody happy and they blessed it and, and they had a representative come to it. We moved forward. We incorporated their traditions into our opening so their national anthem um, their singers performed it uh, we made room for them to do the games in blackfoot on the indigenous radio station across alberta so it became kind of the first time that junior hockey had been done in blackfoot the significant part of that is it's also a language that is going away and they were able to take the recordings from the play-by-play and bring it into schools, which for young boys was a really significant you know, way for them to be exposed to this traditional language. Um, we had 3,500 uh, kids, families, minor hockey teams from the, uh, the Treaty 7 nations around southern Alberta. Siksika purchased those tickets. They got them into their hands, so they came. Um, we had... Um, traditional dancing at the intermission, which was, you know, we've done, and, you know, that's been done. But what hadn't been done, which we were the most proud of, was in the second intermission, and if you've all been to the Dome, you know it's a fairly large concourse, we did the world's largest round dance. (laughs) So we got the fans to come down, we had the dancers that they saw in the first intermission, and we did a round dance in an intermission, and the pictures of it are, are incredible. But we were able to do something really significant. We were able to you know, not only just say, well, hey, we're acknowledging you. Hey, don't forget. We were able to, t- we had a TP set up on the concourse. We had one of our kitchens turned into a test kitchen so you could get traditional food and things <laughs> like that. So it was really more immersive. That led to, and I know I'm taking a lot of time, but maybe the most significant piece of this puzzle and probably the game changer for us is we can't sit here and go, hey, we're the Calgary Hitman. You're lucky to be connected to us. That you know that's been going on for years and that just doesn't fly anymore if you're going to have partnerships in the community they need to be reciprocal they need to be both ways so siksika health the following wednesday came in and did um naloxone training so an opioid um antidote they have kits it's a big problem as everybody knows siksika health has put a lot of resources into trying to eradicate it on the nation. They've also helped in the inner city. So they trained our kids, gave our players these kits, trained them how to use it. We invited uh, another partner, they're the community partner, Heroes Hockey. They have uh, high school kids, all-star program. They came in, so we had 12 of their kids. So essentially we were training 40 teenagers on how to use these naloxone kits in case they ever found somebody overdosing on opioids. And probably the most interesting part for me was that they had – uh, they brought in these little sponges that you could actually practice needle. And that was the part the kids did the most, was practicing <laughs> giving the needles, practicing giving the needles, practicing giving the needles. A month later, the world shuts down. We're all, you know, we're not knowing what's going on. The world's in complete turmoil. And I get a phone call in May from Kevin Hodgson from Heroes, 
and he said, I got to tell you a story about Cody. And I said, Cody, he goes, yeah, he came to your uh, naloxone training with the rest of the Hero All-Stars. 3.30 in the morning, one of the uh, Hero's kids heard something in the alley. Him and his mom went out. Guy was laying there, went back, got his kit, administered three doses, saved the guy's life. Now, that's a partnership. That wasn't us. Make, that was them making us better. That was Siksika Health making us better. That was, that's the type of partnership that we need to create in sport. That's the partner. That's the two-way relationship rather than, hey, come and we'll expose you. Come, we'll, we'll touch the hand of the hitman on you and say you're blessed. That doesn't work anymore. What you need are these two-way relationships. And that led to further conversation, which led to our MOU. Siksika Health played a role in two return-to-play committees for us. One, when we went and played in the, uh, in, over the winter into the spring, they were part of that committee. They were also part of our committee to return to play. They've given us our, their experts. We have benefited from our relationship exponentially more than they probably have benefited from us. That's how I look at it. Tomorrow, we're all going to wear orange shirts, which we should. The Western League is going to wear a sticker on the helmet. Ter- terrific, fantastic, awesome, cool. But it's what you said. Tomorrow, one of Siksika's elders will come into our dressing room, talk to our players, and explain to them what residential schools were. We're explain to them the effects and how we're still struggling. Uh, explain. So we'll take 25 young hockey players and educate them on the real reason. And honestly, that's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. That's where you guys need to be tomorrow is listening to those conversations. That's the role that sport now needs to morph into and to play is to, to be a safe place to have these conversations, to be a way of, of having these conversations, to say, geez, the Oilers, Ethan Baird did more for relations last year by wearing his name, yeah. you know, and th- those are meaningful. That's where sports needs to go, and I believe that, and that's why the MOU is so important to us. So I, I do want to get to – you sure. touched a little bit this – Actually, a quick update. So the Hitmen did play last season, did they not? We played it. We played at Satina. Yeah. So we, because the Flames were playing in a bubble, and they brought in Stockton, and they were all in the same bubble, we could not play out of the dome. So we were homeless for about 24 hours. <laughs> we had played a preseason game in Satina uh, in the fall in uh, September of 2019. Brent Dodging Horse, who's a counselor out there, is probably our most popular alumnus. He brought us in, showed us, and. We played the first event in there. So we had played in there. And we were now homeless. Um, you know, Winsport, Max Bell, these were all things. But, you know, we, we got a call. And they said, why don't, why don't we work together? Gray Eagle Resort came on board. We were able to bubble our players. So we played our entire, it's not really the 21 season, but we played from February until April uh, while our players were staying at Gray Eagle and playing out of Satena. And then uh, most recently, the past two weekends, we played our first preseason fa- uh, game in front of fans in Siksik on the 18th. And then last Saturday, we played a game out at Satina. Um, again, uh, a great opportunity for us to thank. Um, we did something a little bit unique. Um, we took the name bars off of our players' jerseys last weekend and replaced it with the 25 family names on Satina. Hmm. So the players represented all the dodging horse and crowfoot and all of that. And then we put their flag on our, our, our and then we turn those jerseys over to them after the game and they'll use them as a fundraiser to help with their causes in, in the community. 
you you made reference to the Heroes Program. And by the way, yep. to, my, to my students, by all means, be part of this conversation if you wish. Just simply raise your hand if you want to comment or ask a question, and I'll repeat it. And then, um, so I won't make you ask it on the microphone unless you want to. And then we'll, we'll weave that into our conversation. So I just want to make sure that you know that this is an open conversation if you wish. You had made reference to the Heroes right. Program. Right. Um, and so in the, in, in the theme of the good of sport... Yeah. I th- I think there are opportunities for sport to address all marginalized populations, and you certainly right. well know my interest in, uh, uh, yeah, in, interest in is probably the best sport. word in adapted sport, yeah. and particularly uh, for persons with disabilities. Yep. I want you to talk. I I don't. Are there any students that volunteer with Heroes right now? I know we have a couple of varsity hockey players, so we have just the one, just the one person who volunteers with Heroes. Okay. Perfect. I want you to talk a little bit about just even how that came about, its connection to... So there's, so there's two programs here. Yeah. There's Heroes Hockey, which has been around for 21 years, and there's Superheroes, which has begun four years ago. So I just mentioned, you know, the naloxone training and, and that we got, and we used here. So Heroes Hockey was started by a man named Norm Flynn in Vancouver, and it was using hockey as a way of getting disenfranchised kids, disadvantaged kids off the street and using hockey to get them an education. Um, Probably the best way to describe the hero's experience was Norm went out and bought all this equipment, and he got these kids this gear, and they had their first ice session in in a really difficult part of Vancouver, and they all went home, and they came back the next week, all 20 kids, and four of them had equipment, 16 didn't. And Norm said, where's your equipment? Parents had taken it and hawked it and bought money, used, you know, get drugs. So... It, those are the kind of communities that they started in. Now they are all across Canada. Uh, there's two programs in Calgary. There's a program in Northern Ireland. Essentially, it uses hockey as a way of bringing kids in, uh, giving them a safe place, helping them get an education. Uh, in, I want to say it was 2014. It might have been 15 and 16. Back-to-back years, two heroes kids received uh, Thurgood, Thurgood Marshall uh, Scholarship Awards from the National Hockey League. It was the only time in the history of that award, because it was named after an American politician, that was given to Canadians. <laughs> but basically, they were intended to cover the cost of education. The one winner, I'll never forget this, when they did his application, he, he had, um, there was three brothers. One was a little person, um, and the mother's, full-time income she was in a i believe in a wheelchair her full-time take-home income was less than twenty thousand dollars so this kid got a scholarship he just graduated from usc uh in kinesiology Hmm. so that's the type of now there's other programs uh she mentioned nashville philadelphia the snyder hockey is incredible if you ever get a chance just check that out hockey sport can be used you know it's easy to say well come play hockey come play baseball come play soccer um, there's an awesome program uh, in Calgary called Soccer Without Borders. If you don't know about it, check that one out. But sport can be used as a vehicle to get um, kids an education, to get them on the straight and narrow, to really change their lives. And that's, that's where I think sport really valued. Six years ago, any Senators fans in here? Who, okay. who would so, be? Why on earth would you be a Senators fan? That's the crazy part. Yeah. Uh, when was it they ran to seven games with Pittsburgh? Was that 17 or 16? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. I think it was 17. 17? Yeah, okay. 
you guys might remember Kyle Turris scored an overtime goal and then he didn't talk to the media and there was a big story and then they found out afterwards that Kyle Turris and his wife left that game immediately and went to a dinner for a group called the, uh, the Condors, Capital City Condors. And this was the first time that I had ever heard of this, but the Capital City Condors were a hockey team for kids with cognitive disabilities. <laughs> so Down syndrome, autism, cerebral palsy, physical conditions as well. And Kyle Turris and his wife were giving... So I'd never heard of this. Well, that fall, this guy started emailing me out of the blue. It wasn't hard to find me. He emailed me, and he said he wanted to talk to Curtis Lazar, who was with the Flames. Lazar was in Ottawa. My son's got autism. Curtis was in, in, Vancouver, in uh, Ottawa. They had this program called the Capital City Condors. We really need a program like that. Now, I, it's nothing... I, I don't work for the team. At that time, I didn't work for the team. I had no connection to Curtis Lazar. So didn't think anything of it. And then in January, uh, I was at Adrenaline Sorcerer Sports on the Cloud Trail, and I was doing a live show. And my show ended at 6 o'clock. At 5.30, I could just see, like, over a couple rows, there was this guy staring at me. And he didn't go away, and he didn't go away, and he didn't go away. And I go, oh, great. Okay, I know what this is. He, he's mad because they traded again five years ago. I've seen <laughs> this movie before. I know how this will end. And... He came up to me and said, Rob, I sent you an email a long time ago. I'm trying to get a hold of Curtis Lazar. And I remembered the email because it was a kind of an odd request. So we started talking. His son has autism. His son was playing rec hockey, not rec hockey, uh, uh, Hockey Calgary introduced uh, a level of, um, what did they call it? I apologize. But it's, it's one practice, one game a week, uh, house league. And it was, it was just intended for, for kids who didn't want to take the sport seriously but to play. And he was playing in that, but he was falling behind, falling behind, falling behind. And his, his story was breaking my heart. Like, every kid should have a chance to play. So I called Kevin Hodgson, who runs Heroes Hockey. And so we've established that Heroes is in these cities. They've established a program. I said, Kev, I don't know how to start a program. What do you think? Kev made a few phone calls. We started talking to groups like... Um, uh, uh, parents groups at work uh, for kids with Downs and parents with autism and things like that. And we started to realize that there was an appetite out there. Special Olympics doesn't do ice hockey. They do floor hockey. There was a medical condition that was always a concern with kids with Downs. Anyway, we went all the way down this path. We had these parents that were interested. And so Kevin from Heroes said, we got to uh, pooper get off the pot. <laughs> which direction are we going with this? He went to his board, and he said, can I get a little grant to do a pilot project? So he got a little grant to do a pilot project. Called Brent, uh, Brian Sutter, um, a friend of mine up in Sylvan Lake. We'd done their golf tournament a bunch. They raised money, and the Sutter Fund helps out. They said, this is what we're doing. Chris Sutter has Down syndrome. I've known Chris, Daryl's son. He's an incredible kid. They said, we're in. We'll give you 5000 bucks." We got a little bit of money. We found 20 kids, and in the fall of 2018, we went to Max Bell, and we went out on the ice with a whole bunch of kids that had gone to sport check and gotten equipment and never been on the ice before, had never skated before. Some had skated, but had never been in ice, and we had no idea. We had no idea. And honest to God, we thought we would be, you know, holding them up and putting them on chairs and stuff for a year and a half. We got on the ice, and an amazing thing happens when you let kids be kids. An amazing thing happens when you let kids develop at their own rate. And an amazing thing happens when you just let them go. And they took off. 
And I'll never forget that first ice session. I was after it was just visible. I was just so angry. I was so angry. I just wanted to kill someone. I wanted somebody to die. I wanted some bad thing to happen. There was no reason these kids shouldn't have been on the ice. There was no reason that this was the only program west of Ontario for kids with cognitive disabilities to play hockey. None. Absolutely none. And as that year went on, those kids grew at different rates. Um, it was 23 small area games. It was just parents who started, were so scared that their kids, at the, their whole lives, and they're with them all the time, so scared that they couldn't let them go migrating from the player's box to the stands to get in Tim Hortons to really not paying attention <laughs> and just letting their kids be kids. <laughs> And that program led to a program in Edmonton. It led to a program in Regina. It led to a second program in Calgary. That program is now going to be three teams in Calgary. It's going to be a team in Surrey. It's going to be one in Kelowna. There's one coming to Winnipeg. And that's the Superheroes program. And that program is the greatest gift that I've ever been given in the world of sport, bar none, stop. I, I would give up everything to do that all the time. Um, for anybody who's looking for a volunteer opportunity, it's a great time. Um, our first team has scrimmaged against other teams. Um, our celebrations, our victories are some kids just standing up on their own after three years, and we had that this weekend. Um, young man who was dead weight when he started, and you pick him up and you carry him around, and then you sit him down, and then we got him. The two of us could hold him, and, and now we're at a point where Gage can stand on his own, and he will at some point participate in the way that he participates. But that is... That's sport. So, David said we're going to talk about pro sports. So let's talk about pro sports and superheroes. With the pandemic, we couldn't get on the ice. But we had this void now in these kids' lives. Superheroes meant something. They needed that void. So we started tapping the shoulder of friends that we had. Brendan Dillon, who was then with the Washington Capitals. And Brendan Dillon would come on a Zoom call with these kids and I'd talk to him for 10 minutes, and we'd talk about hockey and his friends, and then the kids would ask him questions for a half hour. And out of the mouths of babes, I'm here to tell you, some of the greatest questions I've ever heard, some of the greatest interactions we ever had. Um, we were able to do parent sessions, because now these kids, these parents of Down syndrome kids, of autism, autistic kids, they're now hockey parents, and they've never been hockey parents before. So we were able to bring in Daryl Sutter, who can... Talk about Chris. Well, Chris came on the call. Chris stole the call. But Barry Trotz, who has a young son with, with Downs, who's able to come on and talk to these parents who has that similar story, right? And now we've created this, this culture. Now we've, we've infiltrated the National Hockey League. And now we have these... Um, you've seen, you don't know this, but you've seen our players a lot here in the last year. Commercials, uh, insurance commercials. Uh, you'll see them... Uh, I don't know if you saw the Flames 50-50 commercial with uh, Piper and the K-Trainer. The metal, um, Piper has cerebral palsy, and we put her in a K-Trainer, and we're able to put her on the ice. And she did a 50-50 commercial for the Flames, which would have run in games. The, these kids are now part of the hockey community. So why does this matter? Really important. Um, our superheroes teams adopted the Calgary Hitmen last year, so when they're in the bubble, these t our players and their players would... Uh, sorry, I guess they're both my players, but anyway, the two teams would meet on Zoom and they'd play uh, 
Uh, it's a trivia game that you can do online that kids play Kadoodle or something like that. And I, I don't know what it is, but they played it. They had it. At the end of that year, I got a call from one of our older players, and he said, hey, I've shared this story about these superheroes kids with my grandma. She's got a knitting uh, quilting group back in Saskatchewan. <laughs> they made 23 blankets for our superheroes kids, the Calgary Hitmen on their last road trip gave each player a handmade quilt. <laughs> and you see in parents cry and everything. One of the parents comes up to Kevin and I were just standing there and, and um, you know, young Jace, who's just a sweet, sweet kid. And she goes like, you guys don't know what a difference this makes in a kid's life. And you're going, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's cool. Right. Cause it's one hour a week. Right. And then these zoom sessions, they'd, they'd hire these speech therapists and they'd work with these kids. And they wouldn't get anywhere. But you put a kid in a team environment, you put a kid in hockey, and he's part of a group. And guess what? <laughs> now, they're, now they're getting better. Now they're learning to talk. Now they're communicating. There's self-confidence. We've got one young man who, and I don't want to trivialize it and make it. His thing is he knows he's an autistic young man who knows everything there is to know about fire alarms. <laughs> we learned last year that he created his own website at 14, and he has 80 buildings in Calgary mapped out with their fire, alarm, their fire alarms. We've connected him with a company that works on fire alarms. He spent this summer as a full-time employee doing inspections. He's the best fire alarm <laughs> inspector that they have. The proudest moment of this young man's life is he failed Air Canada. They fixed it, don't worry. But he was so happy, right? So don't tell me that sport can't change lives. Don't tell me that pro sports can't have an influence because none of superheroes, none of heroes doesn't happen without pro sports. We need that backbone. We need the foundations to come in. We need the Brian Sutters to see value. We need, you know, your guests... Who, who view community as important. That's how this ecosystem works. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, we're on the cusp of it. It's only going to get bigger. It's only going to get more important in all of these things. I love getting you fired up. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about the award Kevin got. Kevin, uh, yeah, Kevin Hodgson from Heroes is the uh, 2021 Willie O'Ree Award winner. So the, uh, the National Hockey League honors um, one person a year with the Willie O'Ree Award. Um, for their contributions to growing the game of hockey in the community. And Kevin's been nominated before. This year he won. Um, it comes with a, a fairly significant cash prize. Um, he's recognized by the league. But more importantly, what it does is it, it just recognizes um, that good things are happening in hockey. Um, the cool part about that, I mentioned the scholarships from a couple of years. The cool part about that is there's now 32 teams in the National Hockey League. The last two Willie O'Ree Award winners have come from Calgary because Dampy Brar won it for Amp the Hockey two years ago and Kevin won it this year. Um, what's really cool is that Willie O'Ree has been part of Heroes Hockey since day one. So they're friends. They know they're friends. So it was really cool when he found out because Willie was able to personalize it and everything like that. But lots, lots of positives. So I want to I pivot now, but yes. I want to use Willie O'Ree as the pivot. Please. So who's, I'm going to look to my students here. Who's Willie O'Ree? What's significant about him? Correct. So the first black hockey player in the NHL. Correct. Correct. Racism. Yeah. 
Uh, there was a story that just broke a couple days ago. I don't know the specifics, but it's a uh, player in the U- player in UHL, which is a, a professional U- league in the Ukraine. Ukraine, yeah. Peeled a peeled a banana. Made the, that made was the that, made the the motions of that towards a black player on the other team. Has pro sport addressed racism in an appropriate? Well, in a in a way that that is enough. No. And so we're we're still seeing that story. We're we're still seeing. Uh, I think European soccer. I know there's a, there's a student here who I think you played in Germany, correct? Yeah. Um, are you are you familiar? Is, is racism still occurring in European soccer? Yeah. So I, I mean I, again I, I'm not an expert on this by any stretch, but I but I'm sensing that maybe that's one that pro sport hasn't addressed. I think pro sports has been there on the cusp, but. Pro sports is sometimes guilty of yeah, but racism. Mm. You know, oh, he shouldn't have done that. But yeah, but you know what? We don't have a precedent for that. You know, oh, that was terrible. Yeah, but you know, it was worse over here. There's a lot of that yeah, but. Mm. And, uh, you know, ultimately it, it comes down to people, you know, the, the, the audience, right? That's where you, you know, um, Black Lives Matter is a really mm-hmm. interesting one. Mm-hmm. I, I look at Matt Dumba, funny enough, Matt Dumba, heroes. Uh, friend of heroes you know he's come and he's skated with our superheroes kids one of the truly great young men in hockey hmm. um but i think we're all familiar with when he took the knee in the bubble the response that he got right there's a lot of people that again social media technology is great but it also gives cover and to think that no we haven't i mean you know um <laughs> we can do more we can all do more but that's where i say I think the future of sport is connecting with you, the audience. I think the, the, the future of sport is making sure that the teams that you cheer for carry your values forward. This group, this group doesn't make the same jokes that you and I used to make. Yeah. This group yeah. doesn't you know, view – I mean, we haven't even talked about the LBGQT – I apologize. I, but the plus. community, yes. Yeah. Um, which, you know, this you guys – are great. Like for the most part, you guys are great. It's, it's old white guys, really ultimately what it comes down to. And we got to move. We've got to continue to use sport to move forward. Don't we? Listen, I like, it's starting to piss me off. If I'm being honest, you know, this pandemic, like I've had enough. Oh, I'm done. Yeah. I'm yeah. ready. I'm ready to move on. The exhaustion component is real. Sport can be that mechanism of fun. It can be that mechanism by which to have joy. It can be that mechanism by which to, I don't know, just celebrate happiness, perhaps. And you, yeah. if, I can, if I can give kudos to you, if I can blow some smoke. Please. I think you do that better than anybody from a marketing perspective, from hosting events. Mm. I want you to talk a little bit about some of the ways that when Hitman games take place that you try to make it fun. Right. Well, that's the, to me, is the thing we've lost, right? Um, not to give you homework, but if you can... Tonight, there's a great six-and-a-half-minute YouTube video on the Savannah Bananas. Go, go, and, watch this, go and watch that video because that's what it's about. Um, to me, the best new name in sports isn't the Kraken. It's the Disco Turkeys. Like I, I'm, to me, we've lost our way. Like There's heavy stuff. We talked about racism. We talked about community. We talked about all of these things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this has still got to be entertainment. 
And, you know, there's you guys, advice, here's advice for you. There's six original ideas. Everything's an offshoot from those. So steal away because that's what we do. Um, we really believe that, that we, want it, we want it to be fun. We want, it, we want you to come and, and forget. And I know where you're going, and I'll get there. Um, <laughs> but t- to me, it's, it's, again, that added value component. We're big on families. Our Sunday fun days are big on families. So one of the things we did was work with the costume shop. If you ever go and watch a, a what's that? <laughs> Nothing. Okay. I just I... thank you. So you know what we do. We uh, we dress up. Um, we dress up six or seven of our ushers in in costumes every Sunday for kids, and we have backdrops. We stole that right from um, the the uh, from the St. Paul Saints, Bill Vex team in the Northern League. Every single one of his ushers is is dressed up every game as a person from history, right? Like that's to me is fun. Um, you know, all the little in-game things you want to do. You, you just want to create that sense of fun. But the, for me, the big one is is doing things that people don't normally see and associate with a hockey game, but then just throwing yourselves into it. Because you can, if something's half-baked and half-pushed and half-arsed, then everybody knows it. But if, if you throw in hard... People will love it. And, and our big game that, that David was part of in the 1920 schedule, it was in November of November of 19. It was No, it was my birthday. It was November 2nd. It was November 2nd of, of 2019. 2020, yeah, 2019. Um, we celebrated our namesake, Bret Hart. Now, I'm a big wrestling guy, and Bret Hart was my guy growing up. And ever since I've been part of this team, like, this is the – but we didn't do anything. Like, we just – we're the hitmen. But – but it's Bret Hart. Like, the dude was the biggest thing to ever come out of it. Why haven't we done anything? He, was the, he is the best they, there is, the best there was, there, the best there ever will be. So we decided we wanted to do something to honor Bret, and he's working with prostate cancer, so that works perfect for us. What can we do to help Bret's cause, which is prostate cancer? And so we came up with a couple of ideas, but one of our staff said, well, why don't we do some wrestling? And, I, and I'm like, what do you mean? Well, why don't we hold some wrestling matches? Well, where would we do that? Well, I guess we can't do it on the ice. Ah, but why can't you? <laughs> ah, but why can't you? So we started the process. We called a couple of different small little independent wrestling companies. We found the PWA. They came in in August, and I took them out to the ice. There was no ice. I took them out to the, the middle of the dome, and I said, could we do something here? And we started to look at the gate and everything. So we went back to Brett, and we said, Brett, we'd like to do a game in your honor. And we'd like to make it a big wrestling night. And then we'd like to finish it off with some wrestling at the end. And Brett was all for it. We, we came up with a jersey and everything. But to me, it was, okay, but how do we do this, right? Because, you know, what, just put it on a poster? Wrestling? <laughs> to me, we needed to build an angle. So I went... <laughs> <laughs> to a PWA show at the beginning of October, wearing a Calgary Hitman jersey and took a Calgary Hitman flag. This was at like a Legion, right? This was yeah, a, no. this was in a. There's might be. No, it was probably a little bit more than this. But <laughs> not much. Anyway, these wrestlers. I got to know. I got to meet the wrestlers. What I went there for was I wanted to see them put the ring together because I needed to know how I was going to put the ring together at, on the ice and how quickly we could do it. And then I wanted to promote the event. So, I I. I came there and I said, let's promo the event, but let's do this right. So halfway through the show, they invited me out and I came out and, you know, I had the flag and I had the jersey and everything and I got in there. And I mean, if 
you've never been a so. I mean, you get into a wrestling ring and you got to run the ropes. So I ran the ropes. As, as students, only in your first year, you are going to learn to know. I love yeah. professional wrestling. So it's my favorite thing. I'll talk about it for the next four years. We're going to talk about professional wrestling. So I got my hockey stick and I got my Hitman flag and I'm waving it. The promoter comes out. Please welcome Rob Kerr from the Calgary Hitman. Rob, why are you here? November second. We want you guys all to come. We're going to honor the best there is. And they all chant back to you, right? The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever was. And they're chanting to you like they're eating out of your hand. Now, this is the greatest thing in the whole world, right? Now Now you're into this. This is awesome. Come on down. We're going we're gonna to have some matches. And I can't wait to, to announce the, 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 you know, the, the big main event. And all of a sudden, music plays and the bad guys come out. So they come into the ring. And, and uh, you know, I'm not a wrestler. Like, look at me. My God, you couldn't wrestler in the furthest thing from. That's how I would end up on the same page. So they come in, and the bad guys are, like, taunting me. And I'm going, like, guys, I'm not making the match. And I had glasses on. They grabbed my glasses. They broke my glasses, right? Like, these guys are not nice. So then I got upset. You guys can see I can get a little wound up every once in a while. So their champion, I grabbed the microphone out of his hands, and I said, okay, you know, stop it. First of all, his name was what? Michael Duncan, Jeff Reese. Ford. He had like nine names. So I said, pick a name, Donnie. And, and then I looked at another one, and I said, what are you, a vegan Sasquatch? Like, I shouldn't have said that. And, and anyway, all of a sudden, I got spun around and punched. <laughs> and I fell down. And then little got propped back up, and little very nice little oriental man sprayed green mist in my eyes. So I went down. And all of a sudden, other guys, so apparently the good guys came in to try and uh, save me, um, but they, they didn't. And remember I, I said that stick with the flag? They broke that over my back. I can still feel that stick on my back. And then another good guy came out. They ran him off. So now we have our main event. Now we've sold it. Now we have it on video, which you got like 30 seconds after I got out of the ring. I sent it to all my friends. Look, I'm getting the crap kicked out of me. And they loved it. Everybody loved it. So we, uh, we sold it as a storyline. And um, we built it up. We had a press conference. The guy that punched me came to the press conference. Uh, we held this. Brett was coming out to announce the jersey. We held the press conference first. And uh, Mo Jabari, who's a great Calgary wrestler, you're going to know his name. He grabbed my glasses and broke my glasses. That's the second time. Uh, and then all of a sudden, in the Dome, we have this big brawl and pull-apart press conference. It's the greatest press conference in the history of press conference. <laughs> so again, selling the story. So then, closer and closer and closer, they're still threatening me. They're sending videos threatening me. So then, you know, I'm, I get a mask, because every good wrestler needs a mask. Now I get a mask, and I'm, now the Hitman Avenger is going to have his wrath rain down on these bad guys because they don't, you know, hit me with a stick and beat me up and stuff. And we're shooting this. If you've been to a Flames game, you know they go to the desk in the second intermission or the first intermission. We're shooting this during a Flames game. So in the intermission, there's 19,289 people going, what what is this? Why is this man on? Why is there a guy in a mask and a Hitman jersey on my screen? But there I am. And then big hand comes, and it's Brian McGratton, former Flame Enforcer, now we've sold the story that I got friends. Now my friend's going to be in there, so we make Brian McGratton. He's the special enforcer. Fast forward. David volunteers the game. We bring Bret Hart in. We set up a ring on the concourse. So I said before, like, you've got to get into a ring to feel it. So we set up a ring and allowed fans to get in a ring with Bret Hart, right? Like, where ex- from an experience standpoint, where are you going to get that? 
They paid, uh, made a donation to the, uh, to the foundation, the Prostate Cancer Foundation. We got, what, 800 people through? Like, it was incredible before the game. Play the game. We wear a special jersey. Proceeds of that jersey go to the – so we've done a lot of good here, and then we do the wrestling at the end. So David's down there. We put a ring up on the ice in less than 20 minutes. Yeah. It takes them 90 minutes to set it up for a show. So it's just a beehive. We get it on there. We uh, First match we have is a tag team match, and the, the villains with the tag belts come out, and they're wearing Saskatoon Blade jerseys because we just played the Blades. So the good guys come out wearing Hitman jerseys. Well, guess what? They won, and they won the belt. So the fans go nuts. we got about 3,000 fans now stuck around for this afterwards. They're going nuts. We have this great women's match. We nearly lose one of them, though. She got really banged up. And then they tap me on the shoulder, and they go, do you want to be in the Battle Royal? <laughs> do I want to be in the Battle Royal? I was so jealous. Yes. <laughs> so the Hitman Avenger was in the Battle Royal for all of maybe four seconds. <laughs> and he was dumped over, and it, but I don't care. I was in my Battle Royal. And then we had our final match. And like I say, this is now, we did this at night, so this is getting close to 11 o'clock. We still got 2,000 people in the building hanging around watching this. They're every, they love every bit of it. So the two, the good guys and the bad guys are going at it. The bad guys are getting the best. And we've already, oh, sorry, I missed the important part. So we're interviewing Brian McGratton backstage, and all of a sudden there's commotion, and, we lo- and the camera moves and everything comes back. Now Brian McGratton is laid out. Somebody has knocked out the toughest NHL enforcer of all time. He's knocked out behind the scenes. So he can't come out to start. So the bad guys get, speaking of bad guys, you probably should talk to your boss before you tell a guy that he's allowed to go and jump off of a sign. Because I didn't do that. And one of the spots in this wrestling show was Michael Blaze uh, jumping off of the um, digital sign above the Zamboni entrance. Yeah. He did a full backflip. I was right full, underneath yeah, him. Yeah, he's got the best video. I told him to do that. My boss wasn't impressed. We survived that. <laughs> So anyway, bad guys are getting the good guys. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes Brian McGratton. They worked this thing, they worked this thing, they worked this thing, and they couldn't get McGratton to throw a punch. Right. So they finally just said, hit us. So if you ever see the video, it's, it's buried on the Hitman website. If you go in there and you watch, Brian McGratton punches three guys. That's what he did. He just punched these guys because he couldn't pull the punch. We go out there, crowd goes nuts, wrestlers have. But that's what you got to do. An experience. You got to give them fun. You got to sell it. You can't just be selling ads. You can't just be say, coming to the games anymore. That's the type. That's the world we live in right now. That's where we got to go. That's why Vegas is, is so incredible for people. That's why Nashville is so incredible for people. You got to sell the entertainment. You got to sell the sizzle. Yes, we've got to do good, and there's ways to do good. And yes, I truly believe if you spend a dollar with me, then you have a right to know if I stand for the things that you want to stand for. And do you believe in the things I believe? I, as, as a, a team, need to show you that. But at the end of the day, pro sports is still supposed to be fun. What do you mean? Is that it? Rob, That's it? we have That's come all? to the end of the time. Not again. Now, just, just to kind of wrap this all up, I don't know if we told our students this at the start, but this podcast, we actually did come up with a name yeah. of our podcast years ago. This will make a lot of sense. And it was called We've Solved Nothing. 